Hi friends, this is Melanie. I have a quick announcement before we begin. As you likely know, the re-release of the What When Wine Diet, which is called What When Wine, Lose Weight and Feel Great with Paleo-Style Meals, Intermittent Fasting, and Wine, is now available to pre-order on Amazon and BarnesandNoble.com. If you read the original book, this version is about 80% new content, and it has 50 amazing gluten-free recipes by celebrity chef Arian Resnick. But I have a special offer for listeners of our podcast. If you pre-order that book and send a picture of your receipt to preorder at ifpodcast.com, I'll send you a few fun things. First, I'll go ahead and send you the holiday recipes from the book. So that is a turkey with apple cranberry chutney, a root veggie mash, which is sort of like mashed potatoes without potatoes, a pumpkin pie, and a paleo pie crust recipe. And those are all just amazing. They also have wine pairings with them as well. You'll also get access to an online quiz to figure out your perfect IF approach. That'll be available starting November 13th. And then lastly, you'll be entered into a drawing to win a phone or a Skype call with me. So that'll be super fun and I would love to talk to you. So yes, please pre-order that book and send a copy of your receipt to pre-order at ifpodcast.com. All right, thanks so much. Now enjoy the show. Welcome to episode 29 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. If you want to burn fat, gain energy, and enhance your health by changing when you eat, not what you eat, with no calorie counting, then this show is for you. I'm Melanie Avalon, author of What, When, Wine, Lose Weight and Feel Great with Paleo-Style Meals, Intermittent Fasting, and Wine. And I'm here with my co-host, Jen Stevens, author of Delay, Don't Deny, Living an Intermittent Fasting Lifestyle. For more on us, check out ifpodcast.com, melanieavalon.com, and jenstevens.com. Please remember, the thoughts and opinions on this podcast do not constitute medical advice or treatment. So, pour yourself a cup of black coffee, a mug of tea, or even a glass of wine, if it's that time, and get ready for the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. One more thing before we jump in. Did you know that common ingredients found in skincare and makeup products can actually disrupt your endocrine system? These endocrine disruptors are a silent threat that can have significant impact on your health, including something that is very important to me, fertility. Your skin is your body's largest organ and what you put on it matters. Endocrine disruptors are chemicals that interfere with the natural hormonal communication in the body. It also matters during pregnancy. And that's one of the reasons I pay close attention to what I put on my skin while being pregnant. Studies have shown that exposure to endocrine disruptors can affect both male and female fertility. For women, these disruptors can lead to irregular menstrual cycles, ovulation issues, and even polycystic ovarian syndrome or PCOS. In men, they can reduce sperm quality and quantity, making it even more challenging to conceive. But it's not just about fertility. When it comes to fat loss, one of the reasons 
reasons that endocrine disruptors can get in the way of fat loss is because a lot of our toxins are actually stored in our fat. It's a way that our bodies protect us from those toxins. These toxic compounds can even work synergistically, amplifying their harmful effects and making it that much harder to shed unwanted body fat. All of these reasons are why I am obsessed with a company called Beauty Counter. The founder actually started the company when she learned about the potential dangers of toxic chemicals and their link to health issues, specifically miscarriages and infertility. While pregnant, I make sure to only use Beauty Counter products. It's one of the only makeup lines that is officially recommended from the Environmental Working Group. What really sets Beauty Counter apart is their unwavering commitment to protecting us, the consumers, from the hidden dangers that lurk in conventional beauty products. Beauty Counter goes above and beyond, rigorously screening every single ingredient that goes into their products, ensuring that they are safe, clean, and free from harmful toxins. They're not just a beauty brand, they're a movement for change, advocating for stronger regulations in the beauty industry. With Beauty Counter, I know that I can trust that the skincare and makeup that I use are not only effective, but also safe for me and my family. They have skincare lines for every skin type, as well as so many other incredible products. I absolutely love their overnight resurfacing peel. It's my favorite way to get anti-aging benefits in a skincare product. The makeup is absolutely amazing. I have tried alternative beauty products in the past and none of them truly performed. But with Beauty Counter, the foundation is so amazing. It makes me feel like my skin can breathe and it looks so dewy and beautiful. You can shop with me at beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. New customers can use the code CLEANFORALL20 for 20% off their first order. Beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. All right, friends, now back to the show. Hi, everybody, and welcome. This is episode number 29 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. I'm Melanie Avalon, and I'm here with Jen Stevens. Hi, everybody. And how are you today, Jen? I am exhausted today. <laughs> I had a had a fun weekend out of town. It's um we record these on Sundays. So it's Sunday late afternoon and I was um at a football game, Georgia Tech Wake Forest. I was rooting for Wake Forest, my alma mater, but my son goes to Georgia Tech. So it was so much fun to go and watch the football game and of course Wake Forest lost, so that was not surprising, but um this morning you know, in Atlanta and with my son and his girlfriend and my husband, we all went out to brunch because, you know, I can eat brunch if I would like to, right? So I ate brunch and I think this is the first time we've ever recorded the podcast after I've eaten a meal. So I am just like draggy. I came home and like wanted to take a nap and now I'm drinking some kombucha to try to, <laughs> try to perk myself up. But it's just funny because I always wait till after we record to open my window. But today... I opened my window at about 10.30, and I'm just, like, so tired. Yeah, I actually saw on Facebook, I guess you checked in or whatever, like, at a restaurant downtown, and I was like, I was like, well, recording's going to be interesting today. <laughs> yeah, so if I don't make any sense, listeners, this is just one more example of why <laughs> I have so much more clarity when I'm in the fasted state, but it was worth it. You know, sometimes you go out of town with family, and sometimes you want to have a meal with them and not just sit and drink your black coffee. Of course, I'm at maintenance. I'm at my goal weight. So 
I don't think of it as, quote, cheating. I think of it as living my life. And um, the meal was delicious, but I am tired. I'm a big Eggs Benedict fan, so you can only get those at certain times of the day. I guess you could make them yourself, but <laughs> Hollandaise is out of my comfort zone. So a question for you. Do you think you'll still be eating your normal one meal a day tonight? Oh, yeah, I'm going to eat dinner. That I probably won't eat as much because I'll be full, but I am going to cook dinner. My husband expects a meal. Plus, you know, I like to sit down and share dinner with him. I just probably won't eat as much. Yeah, I've found for me on the rare occasion, the, the very rare occasion when I break my fast earlier that come dinner time, I still sort of just do my normal, my normal one meal a day. It's true. It's just, you know, I'd... I will be hungry later, not like hungry enough to eat a huge giant meal, but I, my body will want some food. So that's why the evening window works for what, so well for me. And an early window just really does not. Um, I just don't feel as alert and perky as I normally do at this time of the day. And I miss it. <laughs> I am not sorry I had brunch, though. So <laughs> there's no guilt involved, but it's just, it's just interesting, the difference in the way I feel. I don't feel like awful or sick or terrible. I just don't have the normal energy. It's hard for someone to understand unless they experience, you know, the fasted state every day. It's more like the way we probably felt all the time before we did intermittent fasting. So Yeah. Like I felt like I needed a nap and I normally never feel like that. But I think I frequently felt like I needed a nap. Um in my pre-IF days, like I think I was a frequent napper. And also I had the afternoon coffee, you know, to perk me up. I would, I would always need something in the afternoon. So it's, it's just a weird feeling to feel that today since I don't normally feel that way. So, but I also didn't get a lot of sleep because, oh my gosh, they were like, apparently the hotel was right near some fire station. And so fire trucks were going by in the middle of the night. And also there was some like 6 a.m. road race I didn't know what it was, but they had megaphones, and they were running, and people were yelling, and I'm like, what is happening? And then finally, at 7 a.m., when I looked out the window, I could see it, and then they were running. I don't know. It was a very early morning race. That's crazy. It was crazy. People were up and at it in Atlanta today. (laughs) The place to be. (laughs) I guess so. So we ready to jump into the questions? Yes, I think so. All right. Our first question comes from Becky. And the subject is, would a longer fast help me get in ketosis? And Becky says, hi, I love you guys and want you to increase your podcast to at least seven times a week. Kidding, but more would be great. That would be a lot of podcasts. (laughs) (laughs) Although we could probably do it with all the questions that we have right now. We probably could, yeah. (laughs) So back to the question. Becky says, I'm a 52-year-old woman who gained 40 pounds in the last two years. I definitely overate but the change is definitely contributing to my gain and my belly fat. I've been intermittent fasting, 24 and clean. So for listeners, that means she fasts for 20 hours and eats for four hours. And clean means that she's not having artificial sweeteners and things like that during her fast. So she's been doing that for the last three weeks. She says, I've lost a few pounds, but have not gone into ketosis per the strips. And I don't have the metallic taste either. My question is, do you think it would help me go into ketosis, get a jump start if I did a 48-hour fast? If so, what would be the ideal fasting time? Also, 
I was listening to a TED talk about intermittent fasting, and someone recommended berberine as a supplement to help us get through plateaus. Have either of you tried this and or what are your thoughts? Thank you so much for your podcast. I look forward to hearing it every week. And uh, before we go into this, I will say I'm sort of diverting the first question to you, Jen. I'm really curious about your thoughts on the uh, the 48-hour fast. I have a lot to say about berberine, but the, the fasting, the 48-hour, I would like your opinion. Okay. Well, I'm super glad to give it. Um, hi, Becky. Yes. If you're within your first three weeks, your body is still adjusting, you know, I think we've talked about before on the podcast that um, as you get used to intermittent fasting, your body has a lot of changes to go through and you're fasting clean, which is great. That's, that's the first step. But in the meantime, every time you do your daily fast, your body is burning through glycogen stores. And so you're not going to get into ketosis until you have sufficiently burned off the, the glycogen stores for your body to switch over to ketosis. And, of course, that takes a different amount of time for everybody. It depends on many, many personal factors. Um, every day when you eat in your eating window, you put some glycogen back in. But eventually, you'll deplete that and get to the bottom, even if you're eating carbs in your um, in your eating window. That's one thing that confuses a lot of people still. They think that you can't get into ketosis if you've had a carb like ever, you know, within the past X number of hours. But you can. It's just a matter of what your body has has burned through. So if you don't feel like you're getting in, into ketosis, you're not having the metallic taste, and you haven't um, seen it on the strips, first of all, let me address the strips. Those strips are not effective for everybody. They only measure the ketones that you're excreting in your urine. And not everyone is going to excrete them in their urine. You also make several different types of ketones. Some go out in your breath. Some Anyway, that's very complex, But and I don't even know all the three types. I can't, like, quote them out to you. But um, as far as the different types of ketones, you're not – just because you're negative on the strips, that does not mean that your body is not making ketones, okay? So that's just one thing to keep in mind. Um, also, as your body becomes more efficient at – using ketones, you're going to excrete fewer of them. So that explains people who have used the strips and are getting results on the strips and then all of a sudden stop getting results on the strips. That doesn't mean you've stopped making ketones either. So it's very, very complicated and you're not always going to get measurements on the strips, even if you are um, in ketosis. Um, as far as like the, the breath, the metallic taste in your mouth, not everybody experiences that the same way either. Um, I've heard it described a lot of different ways. Some people talk about it more of like a sweet kind of a taste um, or acetone. Like if you, I'm sure no one has been tasting nail polish remover, but if you think about that, that kind of smell from the nail polish remover, that's acetone. So you might have that sort of a, a taste in your mouth. Um, but not having that taste does not mean you're not in ketosis either. So how do we know? Well, unless you're going to do blood tests, you just may not ever actually know. But if you're fasting clean and um, and you have good energy during the fast, if you feel more energetic as the fast continues, if you feel that mental clarity, then that's a good sign that you probably are indeed reaching the state of ketosis. Now, you might not be yet if you're just in three weeks. It's possible that you're not. So you ask if a 48-hour fast would help jumpstart you into ketosis. Well, yeah, I think it would. Um, do you need to do that? Only if you want to. You know, it's going to happen eventually. But 
you can do that jumpstart if you're interested, if you would like to challenge yourself. And of course, you can start doing it and then decide, you know, at the 36-hour mark, hey, that's enough fasting. I'm ready to, to break my fast now. Don't feel like you have to do 48. But if you just want to try it and see, um, I say go for it. So what do you think about that, Melanie? Yeah, I'm, I really like everything you said. Um, I was curious what you are going to say because I know in the past we've talked about kind of steering away from longer fasts, but I guess 48 hours isn't really... It really, yeah, it isn't. A 48-hour fast is, is like right on the cusp of what we would consider to be an extended fast because we do have research that up to 72 hours, your metabolic rate goes up slightly and then back down a little bit. It still is higher than it was at baseline at 72, but but not like crashed, you know, or anything like that. But past 72 is what we're not so sure about. And also, my big worry with extended fasts is overdoing it. Like one 48-hour fast is not a problem. Even one 48-hour fast every couple of weeks is probably not going to be a problem. It's when you do 48-hour fast, 48-hour fast, and you're constantly – um, doing fasts of that length that I have I have some concerns. And that's only just because I've seen a lot of people have trouble with binging after doing that, that many fasts, which to me, the sign that your body needs to binge or wants to binge is just letting me know that something is, is not making your body happy. So that's my only concern with that. So yeah, I had three like very, very brief thoughts. I was going to say, I think it's okay. <laughs> and then I was going to say that you don't necessarily have to go into ketosis, kind of what you said, Jen, that you don't have to really fixate on whether or not you're in ketosis to receive the benefits from intermittent fasting. And then the third thing I was going to recommend was something else Becky could try would be maybe cutting down her carb content in what she's eating. I don't know what she's eating, but if she's eating super high carb, then maybe she could try lower carb to see if that helps her get into ketosis sooner or faster. I mean, I obviously are a proponent of finding what works for you. Low carb may or may not work, may work at certain times, may not work at other times, but that is an option as well. It would, it would help deplete glycogen stores faster, but it's just a matter of, is that the way you would, you know, want to eat forever just to get into ketosis faster? Yeah, that could make sense. Maybe it's like a brief little jump start. Yep. All right. So berberine. I have lots to say about berberine. I've never taken berberine. I will start by saying that. I've almost taken it. I have not either. I haven't because it, it actually wasn't something anyone was talking about when I was trying to lose weight. If I had been trying to lose weight, I probably would have. <laughs> I actually, I'm familiar with it though, not for the weight loss or sugar mitigating aspects, but because of its antibacterial oh, okay. aspect because I've struggled and do struggle a bit with uh, gut dysbiosis and such. And berberine has come up as a supplement for getting rid of SIBO, which is small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. That's a whole tangent. Um, but a lot of people do take it to fight harmful bacteria and pathogens and such like that. So I've almost taken it. I've almost ordered it a few, quite a few times because I have a tendency to kind of go crazy and order supplements and be convinced they're going to change my life. Sometimes they do. Sometimes, <laughs> most of the times they don't. <laughs> um, so in any case, that's why I was familiar with it. But I actually, after reading your question, Becky, did some research on it for its blood sugar effects. And it's fascinating. I was actually very, very fascinated by what I found. 
So basically berberine is a bioactive compound and it comes from several different plants. It's not from any one plant, but it has shown to have a lot of health benefits. Um, In addition to what I talked about with the antibacterial effects, it also is anti-inflammatory, antioxidative, or has antioxidant effects. But the main thing that people go to it for is that it has very potent anti-diabetic effects and it very strongly affects blood sugar. It's actually one of the few herbal or over-the-counter supplements which is shown to be as effective as pharmaceuticals, which is sort of rare because a lot of times there, people say that um, over-the-counter supplements or herbs aren't as effective as drugs and all of that, but this one actually has a lot of research behind it. So it's been shown to be as effective as, effective as metformin, which is kind of the go-to blood sugar-regulating drug. So the way berberine works, it actually activates an enzyme in the body called AMPK. So that stands for, I don't know how you say all this, but adenosine monophosphate activated protein kinase. And that enzyme um, has a very potent effect on energy metabolism and blood sugar and all the things. And so it has been shown that when you take in berberine or ingest it, that it actually travels into the body cells and actually affects our cells on a cellular level and um, can change their functions and regulates blood sugar. Studies have shown that it can um, decrease insulin resistance, it can lower insulin, it can increase glycolysis, which is helping the body break down sugars inside the cells. It can actually decrease sugar production in the liver. Um, so it can do a lot of things, and it seems to have a very potent blood sugar regulating effect. So as far as how that relates to, to intermittent fasting, if you are struggling with high blood sugar, berberine could be something that you might want to try fiddling with to lower blood sugar. Um, my only concern, I I don't want to say everybody who has blood sugar issues should take it because it also could cause low blood sugar if high blood sugar isn't your problem. Um, so if like, if a blood sugar roller coaster is your problem, berberine may or may not be effective. If for example, you struggle with like reactive hypoglycemia or something like that. But it's definitely something, I think it's something to try and see how it affects you. It may help, may not help. I did just look through, this is not like scientific, but I did look through like online (laughs) forums and message boards and just for people's anecdotal reports. And a lot of people who had high blood sugar definitely see responses with berberine. And then in addition, it does seem to address sugar cravings pretty well. So Becky, I would say try it if you like, see how it goes. I don't think it can hurt. Well, my my question is this. She asked if it would um, work as a supplement to get through plateaus. And so that's the part I don't know. Um, that phrasing, I wasn't quite sure. Yeah, I, I'm on the same page. I'm not sure exactly what you mean by that, Becky. Like does um, it cause weight loss, I think, is what. Oh, well, it has been actually. So it has been shown to encourage weight loss. So that could be. And, and increased metabolism through that. I talked about the AMPK. Right. So that does affect metabolism. And so it does up, seem to upregulate the metabolic rate. Okay. Yeah. So, um, yeah. But uh, if you are type 2 diabetic, this does sound like you would want to keep check of your blood sugar yeah. while taking it. But it could, be, it could be quite beneficial. Yeah. Well, that sounds great. Something to experiment with. And definitely let us know. If you do try it, Becky, let us know how it goes. I actually almost ordered it. 
I might still order it. I'm just curious. Uh, I'm so bad about like ordering all the things. I know I've done that too. I've, I've got something sitting in there that I ordered one time and it's still sitting there and I was like, I was going to try this and I never Oh, did. I have like a hundred things. It was something for your gut. I mean, I usually do try things, but this one I haven't even tried. It was like oh. a, gut, a gut supplement, whatever, that was supposed to help your gut microbiome, which is the topic of our next question. <laughs> but I never took it. It's still sitting there. The box is. So. I will say very few supplements actually stay with me. Yeah. But one of the ones that has stayed is, do you know what it is? Serapeptase? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> we get so many emails now about serapeptase. Yeah. yeah. I think we have a question about that coming up at some point. Not today, but another week. Or is that today? Is that today or another week? I don't know. We'll find okay. out. Okay. <laughs> I think it's coming up. I've seen it come through the list. All right. Let's, talk, let's go to our next question from Stephanie. And her subject is gut microbiome and wine. I love it. And um, it's both of our our passions right there. So she says, hi, Melanie and Jen. First, I would like to say, as everyone does, I love, love, love your podcast. I wait like a kid at Christmas time for the next episode to arrive. I also want to mention how easy your voices are to listen to. Melanie, I know. I think that's sweet. (laughs) That makes me so happy. (laughs) Although today I can barely talk, all the yelling at the football game. So, (laughs) (laughs) Melanie, I can hear the smile in your voice. And Jen, your very subtle southern twang combined with your laugh is just great. Well, thank you so much. I have two questions. I stumbled upon IF after years of GI distress. I was finally diagnosed with leaky gut. And, of course, I thought that was just some made-up thing. I did a blood test for food sensitivities, and to my surprise, I tested in the moderate to severe range for almost everything. Lemons, peaches, green beans, cauliflower, zucchini, squash, lettuce, and the list goes on. Of course, on the high end of severe was all gluten and dairy. The things I didn't react to were pork and beef, but I've been a vegetarian for 15 years. I then tried several different protocols, but never could get feeling really better. At one point, my only option was, I just can't eat anymore. Of course, I realized that was not a viable option, and then somehow I came across a YouTube video on IF. I started testing IF in mid-June, and about mid-July, I came across your books and super helpful information and have since stepped up my IF game. My question is, I do feel about 75% better, but other than avoiding all the foods I tested positive for... And then she says, really? Lettuce? She says, what other foods or supplements are good for a healthy gut microbiome? And how can I help heal this leaky gut once and for all? Second question is, I know Melanie is a wine genius, and I'm curious what you think about the new wines that claim to be cleaner, lower in sugar, and less sulfites. Are these claims true, and how are these wines different from other wines? Thanks, ladies, for being you and for helping us be healthier and happier. All right. Well, I love this question. It's the things we love. <laughs> so hi, Stephanie. First of all, I want to say I have the same problem with lettuce. So that happens. I went through a brief period where I like loved lettuce and was eating like so many salads and just eating all the lettuce. And I was, and I got really bad eczema. And then when I cut out lettuce, it went away. That's so interesting. That's a thing. I probably ate just too much lettuce. But in any case, so leaky gut. So what is leaky gut? Basically, our intestines have a permeable lining that is designed to let 
to let in the good things and keep out the bad things. So let in nutrients, but then keep out toxins and bad pathogenic bacteria, bacteria and things like that. However, our modern diets and antibiotics and inflammatory compounds and just all the stuff often leads to a condition called leaky gut, and that's where the holes in our intestines become too permeable. And so they start letting in too many things into our system. So then what happens is when we eat, we let in toxins into our bloodstream and we just, it results in systemic inflammation. It can just make us feel really, really bad. And then what's worse is that the more we let in these toxins, the more we let in these inflammatory components, the more our body reacts. And so the more inflamed we become, and it's just a perpetuating cycle of unhappiness. So as Stephanie says, how can I heal this leaky gut once and for all? Okay, I have a lot of thoughts on this. Basically, Stephanie, intermittent fasting, like you said, is going to be great for healing leaky gut because it is going to allow time for the intestines to clear out and for them to heal. So that's going to be great for the healing aspect. Then as far as the eating aspect goes, what you're eating is key, like so key. And ultimately, we want to get you and anybody else who has leaky gut back to a point where you can eat the foods that you were once reacting to. That's the ultimate goal is to get to a point where you can eat more and more and more. But in order to do that, you might have to eat less in the meantime because you need to heal your gut. So I'm a big fan of like meat broth and bone broths, and those are really healing for the gut. I like breaking my fast with meat broths or bone broths, and so that means that the first thing that's hitting your intestine when you're in like a, a clean, <laughs> empty state is a very healing food compound that contains all the things that you really need to stimulate growth and renewal of your gut. You are going to want to avoid the things that you are intolerant to. So you're going to want to find the foods that you do tolerate and eat those. Hopefully you can find some easily digestible foods. And there are a lot of different protocols that address this. Like there's so many different protocols. So I don't even know like where to start. Um, but some ones that you can look at, for example, is like the GAPS diet. That one is specifically designed to heal leaky gut. So I would consider looking into that. You could also look into the low FODMAP diet, which serves to reduce bacterial fermentation and supports easily digestible food combinations. So you can look into that. So you really have to find what works for you, but I encourage you not to be disheartened and just know that if you can find the nutritious foods that work for you, you can stick it out. You can heal your gut. Something to keep in mind, and I find this so encouraging, is that the intestinal cells are actually the fastest healing cells in our entire body. They turn over very fast, which means that you can, you can make rapid changes very quickly, but just don't shoot yourself in the foot in the meantime. So you said you react to gluten and dairy. Please avoid gluten and dairy while you're trying to heal. I would actually advocate, and this is me, but I would advocate always avoiding gluten um, because it has been shown to specifically encourage leaky gut. Okay, I will try not to go on too much of a tangent. It actually encourages the release of a protein called zonulin. So zonulin is actually a protein which its purpose is to open the holes in our gut to let things in. Like, <laughs> So it's supposed to be a good thing, but with gluten, it results in too much zonulin, which results in too much leaky gut. So just I would avoid gluten in general if you can. Last thing I will say 
You can also take digestive support because if you're not digesting food, it's going to sit around, it's going to ferment, it's going to create more inflammation. So I would encourage you could try HCL, which is basically um, an acidic substance created in our body to digest protein and fat, so you, but you can supplement with that for digestion. You can also try different digestive enzymes, but basically you got this, Stephanie. Look into those diets. I do have lots of links on my personal website at melanieavalon.com. So I'll put links at ifpodcast.com slash episode 29 to things I've written about all of this. So that was a lot. Do you have thoughts, Jen? Yeah, and I think I think you um, covered that very well. If your gut is not healthy, then you're going to have lots of problems. And that's just, you know, my second book, that's um, a big topic in it, in Feast Without Fear, is that the one reason that we're different or one of the reasons that we're all different has to do with our gut microbiome. And if you have a compromised gut and you have leaky gut, then you're going to have trouble tolerating the foods you want to tolerate, just as Melanie said. So you definitely want to avoid anything that's causing you problems. But as Melanie also said, you can rebuild your gut lining and begin to tolerate things that were once a problem for you. And that'll just depend on on your body. So as as she mentioned, there are various protocols you can try. There's books out there. I mean, this is there are people who are experts in this field who can guide you through exactly what to do. If you can find a physician who's experienced in that, I think that would be a great place to start as well. A naturopath, something like that, um, a holistic type um, health person, a um, practitioner is the word I was looking for. Find a practitioner who's experienced with this. And that's what I would do. You know, if, if you are savvy enough to guide yourself through it, that's one thing. But sometimes it's helpful to have a, a health professional who um, who knows what they're doing and can help you heal. You know, we are here to, to give you some um, support as far as like saying, yes, it, it can probably be done. But we, of course, can't tell you exactly what to do. And you need that personal support to do it. So I hope, yeah. I would suggest looking into GAPS, yeah. the GAPS diet. I do think that could be something. So we'll put links to that. I think, I mean, someone really could, you know, do a lot of research themselves and figure it out. You you really could do that, but it's also nice to, to not feel like you're having to do it by yourself if you can find that practitioner to support you. That's true. That's yeah. a great point. Um, you can also go to ifpodcast.com slash stuff we like. And that's where we also have links to all the stuff we like. And uh, we'll have stuff there for the broths and the books and all the stuff. So, Well, how about the second part of her question? Second question. question. So perfect timing, Stephanie. I will actually super encourage you if you haven't listened to it already. Episode 26, we actually interviewed Todd White at Dry Farm Wines. And that whole company, um, they source these low-sugar, low-toxin wines. And his company actually goes and finds wines that are, quote, cleaner. Um, but they actually test the wines to find wines that are organic and lower in sugar, don't contain added sulfites. So exactly what you're speaking about. And after talking with him and from the research I'd already done prior, it's actually a pretty big deal. <laughs> there's, um, there's a lot of nefarious substances in most wines, especially in the U.S., most commercial wines, additives, fillers, uh, sulfites, so many things. And because of the lack of labels on wines, thanks thanks to frustrating government regulations, you just have no idea that any of this is actually in wine. Um, so a lot of people who react to wine, 
may actually be reacting to the additives, not the actual wine itself. So I personally am a huge advocate of um, finding organic wines, finding biodynamic wines, and then also finding wines that are low in sugar, uh, low in sulfites, low in all of this stuff. So going cleaner, quote cleaner, is very key. And um, as far as which wines to get, you can find those wines just there are a lot of good organic wines that I love personally, like Trader Joe's, Sprouts, places like that. But then also Dry Farm Wines, I can't advocate it enough. And if you go to dryfarmwines.com slash ifpodcast, there's more information there. And you can actually get a free bottle for a penny with your first subscription, which is kind of awesome. Um, but I, I'm obsessed with Dry Farm Wines and it's I'm looking at my wine thing, my wine container right now, all my wines and... uh. There's a lot of dry farm wines in there. They're amazing. Have you tried them yet, Jen? Not yet. They are on the way to me. Yes, Jen has some coming. I'm excited. I have some coming. Yeah, I'm excited to try it. They um they were going to send them, but then they had some trouble from the the fires. So oh oh right yeah in California so, yeah so they um they were delayed. Delayed yeah. and denied. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, do you have any other thoughts on the wine though? No, I think you I think you covered that very well. We talked about it in the in that episode so clearly, and, and then you just recapped it. So I think we're good. We talk about it so much, so we don't really need to <laughs> just check out episode twenty six. Um, it's all there. It's like an hour. We also talk about fasting. It's a great episode. Alrighty, shall we jump into our next questions? Yes, let's do it. Okay, so we have two questions, and speaking to a similar topic, so we will address both of them. So I'm super excited about this first question because it comes from Melanie. I don't think we've had a Melanie. I don't think we have either. Yet. So the first question comes from Melanie and the subject is IF and detox. And Melanie says, hi, ladies. I love, love, love your podcast. Keep them coming. My question will be hopefully short and sweet. I've been IF 19.5 or now mostly one meal a day since May 15th and I've lost 24 pounds. My question for you is is about detox symptoms. Right now I have dry, patchy spots on my face. I had them early on in my first days of fasting and they went away. I'm the lowest weight I've been in over six years. Is it possible I'm burning fat that is carrying toxins and I'm releasing them? I'm trying to guzzle as much water as possible and using coconut oil for the face. For reference, I'm a 44-year-old female, still have about 40 pounds to go, clean fasting, eating whatever I want in the time frame. Thanks so much for any advice. Okay, so that's the first question. And then the second question comes from Mary, and the subject is toxins and activated charcoal. And Mary says, Hi ladies, love the podcast. I've been intermittent fasting for about a month now, and I think I finally found the solution to my years-long weight issue. I've been doing 19.5 every day. Wow, they both do 19.5. What are the odds? I'm losing weight and feel great. My question relates to toxins in the body. I've read that toxins are stored in fat cells, so I assume that as I'm burning fat, these toxins are being released into my bloodstream. Do you think using activated charcoal to help clear these toxins is a good idea? And if so, would you use it during the fasted period? Thanks, and keep the episodes coming. All right. Those are those are two great questions. And the topic is one that's fascinating to me, the idea of our fat cells holding on to toxins. And so, you know, anecdotally, just through the diet community, people talk about this a lot, 
people will all, like as it's it's one of those things that we quote no because we talk about it so much and of course then you go try and find the basis of why we know that and and I haven't been able to like find a scientific study <laughs> that actually talks about it so we were actually just discussing this in one of our Facebook groups the other day about you know your body as you gain weight and this is this is the what people say as you gain weight your body is putting fat in your fat cells. You know, that makes sense. We know that. But the other part of it is people say that your body is also packing away miscellaneous things that it doesn't know how to handle, and that would include toxins. You know, we do live in an environment now where we have all sorts of chemicals that we come in contact with all the time that our bodies are not naturally equipped to deal with because they, they're they not natural things that our bodies you know, we're handling a thousand years ago. These things were not around us. Uh, you know, the plastics, the chemicals, the, the pesticides, all of that. So the the medications that actually, you know, do perform at a toxic level in our bodies to some degree. So what does our body do? Our body may just stick that in the fat cells. That's the theory. And then as you release fat, your body can dump those back out. Now, as I said, I have not been able to find something that was scientific enough to make me say 100% yes, that is exactly what is happening, although it does make a whole lot of sense. I hate to say yes, that's what it is when I haven't I haven't wrapped my brain around the actual proof anywhere yet. But there's a book that someone recommended that I read. It may be in there, and I haven't read it yet. I haven't had time. But the book is called The Secret Life of Fat by Sylvia Tara or Tara. I've heard of that book. I haven't read it yet. I've, I just downloaded it. But the subtitle is The Science Behind the Body's Least Understood Organ and What It Means for You. And that is, of course, considering fat as an organ. Um, so I hope that it's in there. So I can't 100% say, yes, your body stores toxins in your fat and releases them. I, I think that it does. But I haven't been able to scientifically verify it yet. Hopefully this book on fat will help me say with confidence, yes, that is what happen- that is what's happening. Anecdotally, a lot of people say it. And um, it, it makes sense, theoretically, to me. So I just don't want to say, yes, that's what's happening, and then be wrong until, I'm, until I've researched it a little more fully and can find it somewhere. So, yes, it is possible that you're burning fat that is releasing toxins um, into your body. So if that is what's happening, I think you just have to let it, let it run its course. Now that you say that, and I wish I had done like specific research on I've looked before. Well, I've looked and looked. Because I I mean I was just gonna say, yes, it's a thing just from the research I've done based on like animals. So like conventional versus organic mm-hmm. practices and stuff. I know that um I've done a lot of research on that and conventional raising methods for animals, they do store a lot of toxins in their fat. I've also done a lot of rest research on pesticides and stuff like that and those are stored in fat. Um yeah. So I, I've just in general seen a lot of research. But it's I, the whole like, does it get re-released into the body? That's the part I can't – people say that all the time. Like, you know, if you're having trouble hormonally and you're a woman and you've been taking a lot of birth control pills, for example, I've heard the theory that all that extra birth control pill stuff got shoved in your fat and now you're releasing it. Is that true? I don't know. So, people say it though so, yeah so now i'm just thinking aloud <laughs> audience right. this is me just thinking aloud this isn't like scientific um but we do know that toxins can be stored in fat cells so then when you break down fat um 
I'm assuming you're, you, I mean, you've got to release those toxins and then your liver would deal with it. And then I guess if you're, um, I don't know, I guess if, if, if your liver's congested or can't deal with it completely or it could, I could see how it would, um, make you feel bad. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it could be so many things as far as, but I do think intermittent fasting does often lead to detox symptoms just because mm-hmm. it puts your body in such a state of dealing <laughs> with toxins, finally, um, that that can manifest a lot of different ways, be it with the the patchy skin like Melanie was talking about. Also, it could be a lot of other things as well because intermittent fasting is like a cleansing state and lets your body deal with a lot of things. I mean, if you have, I'm not saying this is what it is, but if you have like, you know, candida or, you know, some pathogenic problems, um, that could also lead to detox symptoms. Basically, there, there are a lot of, there's a lot of stuff. There's also mm-hmm. the whole quote, Her- Herxheimer reaction. And so that makes, basically is this idea um, that is where your body starts dealing with to- with toxins, and if your liver can't adequately handle them, that's what leads to detox symptoms because they uh, the toxins go other places. So, and you f- you feel worse before you feel exactly. better. Exactly, part of the healing process. Yeah, it's it's something people do talk about a lot in the the healing community. You know that that um, that this happens. So, but as far as activated charcoal, I have lots of thoughts. What are your thoughts on activated charcoal, Jen? Well, um, activated charcoal definitely is something that's popular right now. I was doing some reading about it and I didn't even realize how popular it was. Apparently they're like making cocktails out of it and, oh, are you drinking it right now? Yeah. That is hilarious. (laughs) (laughs) Why am I not surprised? (laughs) Um, it definitely, um, is something that, that binds to toxins. You know, I, it's something that, you know, my husband worked at the poison control center for a while as part when he was getting his PhD, that was part of what he did. And people would call the poison control center. And one thing they would tell him to do is to, to give the patients activated charcoal. So that, that can bind to whatever it is that shouldn't be in your system and, and take that out. The issue is that it also could bind to nutrients in your food. So, or medication. It can bind to medication too. So you don't want to take it if, like, with food. Like, it was talking about the um, one article that I was reading talking about how people are putting it in smoothies. Oh, and I would not do that. It, no, and it was like, don't idea. do that. Yeah, don't do that because <laughs> you're preventing your body from having the nutrients that are in the smoothie. That makes no sense. So, <laughs> it made no sense at all, but it's trendy. So, I mean, if something's trendy, hey, a smoothie detoxes me. Hey, activated charcoal detoxes me. Let's put them together, right? So, um, you know, I don't want to say, yes, take activated charcoal because, yeah, I don't know what's happening in your body. I don't know if it would be beneficial for you or not, but you definitely don't want to take it near any medications. You don't want to take it with food, and I would just be cautious. I feel like your body um, is is good at detoxing when you're in the fasted state, so I just tend to let my body take care of that, and, you know, I drink my water. I drink my coffee. I go about my day. But it sounds like Melanie is going to have some advice about the activated charcoal since she's drinking it now. <laughs> I am quite an activated charcoal fan. I do think if you don't need to take it, if you don't have a lot of toxins to deal with, if your liver's on point, if that's not really a thing, then I wouldn't necessarily take it. 
if on the flip side, if you are struggling with detox symptoms, it can be a great thing to take, but use it cautiously. Please, please, please do not down like all the activated charcoal that you can. Very bad idea. (laughs) Uh, It's also very dehydrating, (laughs) very dehydrating. So what I suggest doing is putting just starting small. Um, I suggest ordering straight up activated charcoal powder rather than the actual pill capsules. So we have a link to that on if.com slash stuff we like. There's the activated charcoal powder that I like there. So I suggest getting that powder, the straight up powder, adding just a tiny little bit to a very large glass of water and then drinking water before, drinking water after. You want to make sure that you're not going to make yourself dehydrated and you want to make sure you have enough water to when the activated charcoal does attach to toxins, that it keeps things flowing through. I find for me personally, once I drink some that, and this is anecdotal, but um, my eyes actually very quickly get white and it's very good for clearing brain fog if you're experiencing brain fog from toxins. Um, So it's definitely something to experiment with, but go slow and err on the side of more water with your activated charcoal rather than less. Again, take it during the fasted state, not with food, and do not take it near medications of any sort. I will also say, I've talked about in the past how I brush my teeth with activated charcoal. I want to clarify something about that. Don't do that. If if listeners have tried that, um, I don't recommend doing that every single day. And I don't recommend doing it for a long time because it can actually, we talked about how it binds to all the things. It can actually strip nutrients from your teeth. So... I would suggest more maybe using it as like a, a a rinse or doing it maybe like once a week brushing with it. I just wanted to throw that out there. Good tip. Yes, yes. Shall we move into our next question? Yes, let's do it. And this is Tommy. And Tommy's question is about using IF to get shredded. And so Tommy says, hi, ladies. Been listening to the podcast since episode three and really enjoyed listening while I'm fasting and at work. I'm 24 years old from the UK and work as a builder, so I'm very active during the day and I also do a bodybuilding style training four days a week. My goal is to get my body fat below 10% to achieve that shredded bodybuilder look. My weight fluctuates between 160 and 165. I've been fasting for about six months and six months last year. Before I started fasting this year, I was 175 and have managed to lose body fat while gaining muscle mass. I use the step counter on my iPhone, and I usually manage over 10,000 steps per day, which equals to about three to 400 calories burnt. I seem to have come to a standstill with my fat loss and was wondering if you have any tips for getting past this boundary. Should I increase my fasting hours? I currently do 16-8 at least five days a week, and break my fast with a ketogenic style meal, salad, chicken, nuts, etc., and then have whatever I feel like for dinner after training. Will intermittent fasting help me achieve the bodybuilder look I am after, or should I try some other things like fat burners or swapping a couple of my weightlifting sessions with some high-intensity um, interval training cardio? I usually have four to five cups of coffee during the day, so I wondered if too much black coffee will take me out of the fasted state. Any tips or advice will be appreciated. Keep up the good work. Thanks. All righty. Well, hi, Tommy. Thanks for your question. And I actually really like this question a lot. Um, So intermittent fasting, yes, it is a great way to get (laughs) shredded. Okay. And I'm going to start by saying this and it's, 
ironic because it sounds almost sort of like sexist in a way, but it is typically probably, quote, safer for males to go more extreme with the intermittent fasting and the fat loss than females. I know this is a very sensitive topic, um, but the research that I've done on fasting and females, the takeaway that I've seen, and I actually have a very extensive blog post on this on my personal website, so I'll put a link to that post in the show notes um, for this episode. But um, basically, I think intermittent fasting is wonderful. Obviously, I think it's great for, for both males and females, but as far as the fat loss goes and going extreme, which is what Tommy is talking about here. In general, I don't really encourage women to try to go extreme because our bodies are more sensitive to fat stores and extremes in diet because of our, it all goes back to pregnancy and um, having a baby. And basically our bodies need to feel safe. They need to know that they have enough fat to support pregnancy to support a baby if we get pregnant. Um, so that's a thing. <laughs> Whereas with guys, uh, the reproductive aspect for guys is slightly less taxing energy-wise. So their bodies can better handle getting the, quote, shredded look. So I just wanted to start with that because I am going to talk about things that can potentially lead to the shredded look. But in general, I think it's a, quote, safer route men than women. Of course, everybody's different. Hormones are different. People are unique. You got to find what works for you. But I just want to start with that caveat. Yeah, I think that's great. I think that's a good point. Um, women, women and men have different, different physiology. That is a fact. Yes. So with biology, it is, it is. Yeah. Uh, so with that being said, can you get shredded? Yes, you can. Um, I would recommend, so it sounds like what Tommy's doing with the 16, eight is that he is doing his job and then he's eating and then he's working out and then he's eating yep. again. Is that what yep. you, okay. Yep. So I know what so, I would suggest. Yep. I think we're on the same page. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, so I would say I would at least a few t- days a week, I would nix that, that eating before working out. Yep. If you want to get shredded, you got to try working out in the fasted state. Mm-hmm. I do think that's going to be a huge catalyst for losing weight is just, just nix that, that early meal. Do your your work and and then do your workout and then have your one meal a day at the end. I think you'll see huge, huge difference in fat loss. And then, yes, for as far as HIAT, that stands for high intensity interval training. We've talked about that in the past. That's where you alternate super brief, intense periods of exercise with slightly longer rest dates and you do it for a short amount of time. So say for like 15 minutes, you, you might like all out sprint for 30 seconds. Then you might walk for a few minutes and you might all out sprint for 30 seconds. Um, and it's been shown to really encourage fat burning while also supporting muscle, which is pretty interesting and also supporting elongated fat burning afterwards. So it's really great. We've talked about it. I'll put links in the show notes to the episodes where we talked about that. Um, so Tommy, yes, I would totally try some HIIT. I think that could be great for fat burning. And then as far as the coffee, uh, it shouldn't take you out of fasted state. No coffee, uh, supports fat burning and supports the fasted state. So you can definitely keep that in as far as the fat burners go. 
yes, those can be effective. I'm going to say that. I do think they can actually be effective, especially when paired with exercise. That said, most of them have most of them are probably mostly just caffeine. And then a lot of them have a lot of unnecessary fillers, a lot of ingredients that we don't really know what they are. I'm looking at you, quote, proprietary blends. <laughs> um, so I would kind of steer away from those and just favor the straight up coffee or caffeine. Yeah, your your best fat burner is your fasted workout. Yes. So, there yes. you go. That's a free fat burner. It costs nothing. It costs nothing. <laughs> and coffee is And cheap. it's actually cheaper because you did not have to eat lunch. Oh, it's so true. So you just saved yourself some money and got shredded. Boom. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't have anything to add. That's, that's exactly what I was going to say. All right. So our next question comes from Hannah. And the subject is water while fasting. And Hannah says, hi, Melanie and Jen. My fiance Evan and I just discovered your podcast yesterday, and I have really enjoyed it so far. We've been doing IF for several weeks now. Evan has been doing one meal a day, and I have mostly been doing 16-8, but have also tried one meal a day occasionally. We are still catching up, so I apologize if this has been answered in a previous episode. It has not, by the way, Hannah. That's, that's why we're reading it now. Um... She says, should there be any limitation on how much water you drink during your fast? So she says, we use water to stay satiated, which can mean drinking up to 100 ounces during the fasting period. I know that drinking too much water can be dangerous, but how much is too much? How much do you usually drink during the fast? Thank you. So yes, water. All right. So this is one of those things that... um is is a little bit controversial, really, the amount of water that you need to drink. And it's really kind of funny that we've taken something so natural as just drinking water and, like, developed rules about it. And, and now everybody's, like, doesn't know what to do. <laughs> you know, should we drink more? Should I, am I having enough? Should I have 500 gallons a day? No. Um, yes, you can drink too much water, as you said. You know, you can actually have too much water during the day. And what is that exact level you know, I, I can't tell you that, but I can tell you this. And of course that varies from person to person and situation to situation. You know, if you're like out in the middle of summer during doing heavy work, you're going to need different water than if you're sitting around the office, you know, in December. So I like to follow my body's cues on thirst. And of course people will say, well, if you're if you're feeling thirst, you've been dehydrated for hours. And <laughs> that's like some of those scare tactics you hear. I don't worry about water personally. You know, I um, I don't force myself to drink water. I don't pound down water. I don't carry jugs of water with markings on them about how much I need to drink every hour. I don't buy into that hype about water at all. And I've actually um, seen a couple of of really interesting videos about about how we really don't need to be drinking that much water and it actually could be causing us to have you know you know it could be causing negative impacts in our body with all the water. I actually read a book about it or a book that had it in there. It was a very interesting book. Have you read anything by Matt Stone? Oh, is he, we he's the one who's like eat all the things, right? Well, yeah. He has, he has <laughs> one one book. I mean, I read this years ago. I was still overweight. I didn't know he actually wrote books. Matt I Stone. thought he was just like a online personality. So what? What's um his book? The, his book? The, this one was called Eat for Heat, and oh, yeah. it was a fascinating read because it talked about the whole um, the link between metabolism and body temperature, which really you know 
and and so he really focused on that a lot in his book Eat for Heat, and it was fascinating. But he talks about how some of the things that we do, like pound down the water, actually could lower our metabolic rate, and it was just very interesting. Um, he takes the opposite approach about how much water we need. So ever since I read that, I was like, well, it isn't you know as settled as everyone who says you must drink X number of ounces per whatever per day. And ever since I read his book, I was like, okay, I'm never going to worry about water again, and I just drink water. So that's my advice is drink water to thirst. Don't force yourself to drink it because I really don't think that ancient man was walking around with, you know, um, a backpack full of water and water jugs. And our bodies are not that fragile, I think, that we're going to, like, drop dead of not having enough water. What do you think, Melody? I'm – on the same page completely. Oh, good. <laughs> I actually think the whole, like, you have to drink seven glasses of water per day or whatever. Um, actually, if, if you think about it, if you're drinking seven glasses of fluorinated, like, conventional water, I honestly think that might be doing more harm than good compared to just getting water naturally from, like, fruits and vegetables, which we talked about this in a, a prior podcast. Um, so the water found in food is a different form of water it's more easily assimilated by the cells and so it's more nourishing it's more hydrating compared to like straight up tap water but you can actually now i'm going on tangents (laughs) or you can do what i do which is uh you can go get your water from whole foods (laughs) uh which is has no floor fluoride or anything like that in it and put it in your glass container and then you can put your water in your glass container outside in the sunlight and that will actually change the structure of the water to make it more easily assimilated uh, by the cells so that's what i do personally and actually saves you a lot of money that water is pretty cheap to fill up that was a tangent to answer the question i was just gonna say don't stress about it like yeah (laughs) drink when you're thirsty but then I actually did some research on water and i found some pretty interesting things so i can talk about those because it's oh please do but before i do that she says that she, she and her fiance, they use the water to stay satiated, which I do think that's something to talk about um, because I don't think you should be using water to blunt your hunger. Like that is not water's purpose. That's an interesting point. I didn't even think about that. That just actually came up to me at the very end when I was thinking about it because water is not, we shouldn't be using it to dull our appetite. Yeah. That's just something to think about. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I did do some research on water, and I learned a lot. That's why one of the reasons I love doing this podcast is I just l- learned so many oh, yeah, me things too. that I yeah. would have never, like, learned. So basically, our body's fluid balance um, is controlled by very complicated processes in the body that are very unconscious, so it's not something we consciously control. When our body is low in our water stores and needs more water, what happens is the cells, they basically shrink. And then the brain instigates two different signals. It instigates thirst, which makes us thirsty and makes us want to drink water. And then it also tells the kidneys to reduce urine output. So those are the two ways that the body combats it. On the flip side, uh, when we're overhydrated, the cells become bigger because they become filled with water. And then the brain does the opposite of those two things. It uh, makes us not thirsty, and then it also makes our kidneys excrete more water. And what's interesting about the thirst signal is that compared to, say, like the food signal, 
it's an anticipatory signal. It actually changes before the actual cells adjust accordingly. So we, when we drink water, for example, we stop getting thirsty before the cells actually receive all the water, which I just thought was pretty interesting. Then a huge thing with hydration, oftentimes it's not so much about the actual water hydration. It's also the electrolytes and the salt and everything. I know yeah, I was going to mention that. I thought about that too. Yeah. yeah. I, I actually, I'm almost done reading the salt cure or I'm the all salt actually, fix. Yeah. I'm actually almost done reading the salt fix right now. Did you, did you finish it? You read No, I haven't, book? haven't had any time. I've got the book. I've read part of the book. <laughs> so it's, it's in my queue of books to read. So I'm actually almost done right now reading that book. So that's called The Salt Fix, Why the Experts Got It All Wrong and How Eating More Might Save Your Life. And that's by, I'm not sure how you say it, but Dr. James, okay, I'm just going to say D. Nicolantonio. I have no, yeah, I don't know. So he goes hardcore into the whole salt thing. And um, we probably actually have some questions coming up on a future podcast about salt. So I'll I'll reserve talking about that at at length um, right now. But as far as hydration goes, it also does relate a lot to salt and electrolytes. So that's something to consider rather than pounding down all of the water. (laughs) You might want to make sure either A, that you are getting enough sodium and electrolytes in your eating window and or B, you might want to consider supplementing your water with trace minerals or electrolytes or various things like that to to ensure adequate hydration because hydration isn't just about water it's also about electrolytes mhm yeah too much water can um cause electrolyte yeah, imbalances in the definitely. body and so that's that's a that's another bad thing with having too much water so yeah the whole idea i mean it's just so funny that that we've just been told, drink, 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 force it down, force it down. And I don't know, have you ever seen people walking around with those drugs that are marked for the day? Yeah. I didn't know if you had, or if it was just, you know, around the the school because teachers will have those. It's just, (laughs) it's so silly. Like, it's like, I think it's because of commercial industry that we just have to capitalize on everything. Um, Because thirst is not something that we should be, I don't think, overanalyzing. Yeah, and and you know, I, like you cannot lose weight unless you pound down the water. People think, and you know, maybe some people do, you know, have have some better results when they themselves drink a little more water. But I've, you know, I haven't had any trouble. I just drank when I wanted to drink, and that was it. All right. Well, these questions were were great. <laughs> do you have any other final thoughts on anything on any of these questions, Jen? No, I will say that I'm going to read that book. The um, I think I'm going to jump it to the front of the line, The Secret Life of Fat, and so maybe I can follow up on that next week. Oh, yeah, that'd be great. I don't know if I'll have time to read it. Um, it's just, I'll try. I was going to say you should take up audio books. Yeah, I, I don't have time to listen to the audio books. Yes, you do. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, here's, the, here's the interesting thing. I am not, I'm not that much of an audio, auditory processor. Actually, I'm not either. And so that's that's my problem with audiobooks and things. I don't I my mind wanders and so I don't retain what I'm listening to as I do I'm a very visual learner. So reading Wait, how long how long is your commute to your job? Well it's like twenty minutes. Oh, oh see? Twenty minutes. Twenty minutes there, twenty minutes back. That's forty minutes. But I don't retain what I, I don't I'm 
I'm, I'll be like driving along and I'm like, wait, I haven't heard any of that. Okay. So I just, Good I point. can't, I can't pay attention to it. <laughs> I'm going to keep the, I'm just so obsessed. You're going to, you're trying, you're trying. With audiobooks. Yeah. Well, this was awesome. Um, so a few things before we go. So for listeners, if you have your own questions for the podcast, there are two ways that you can submit those. You can directly email us at questions at ifpodcast.com, or you can go to our website, which is ifpodcast.com, and you can submit questions online there. And on that website, two other quick links that you can go to, you can go to ifpodcast.com slash episode 29. That is going to be where we have all the references to studies and all the show notes. Sorry. I'm sorry. Jen, I just fell down. Jen, <laughs> I leaned. I told y'all I was tired. Jen I leaned over and fell. I fell off the stool. <laughs> sorry. Oh my goodness. I was, I was trying to that reach like, something. That cre- okay. Oh, man, <laughs> listeners, we, we should start doing video versions of our podcast. <laughs> oh man. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so back to the notes. Um, episode I have podcast.com slash episode 29. That's going to be where we have references and all the show notes for today's episode. You can also go to I slash stuff we like. That's where we're going to list all of the books, all of the supplements, all of the like, gut healing stuff, all of the stuff that we talk about, uh, links to the, the versions that we like of that. And then lastly, uh, so you can download our podcast in iTunes. And if you're in iTunes, you can actually subscribe to our podcast. And then you will get the episodes downloaded automatically. You won't even have to do anything. So we definitely recommend doing that. And then while you're in iTunes, if you'd like to write a very brief review of the podcast, we would really, really appreciate that. That just helps so much. So yeah, any other thoughts from you, Jen? Have you recovered no. from your fall? I have, yeah. <laughs> I was leaning over and I just fell right off the stool. I'm sure that was pretty funny it over the video. <laughs> but it was, it was a good save, yeah. It was good. It was yeah, good. I recovered. There was like papers <laughs> flying. And... Yeah, I was falling over. Sorry. Oh, I'm just going to sleep well tonight. That's all I yes. can say. <laughs> I love that. I love yeah. looking forward to that. That's the one it's good true. thing about t- tired days is you can look forward to lovely and sleep. I, you know, the older I get, the less I like staying in a hotel just because I don't sleep well unless I'm at home in my own bed. Well, have a wonderful day. Sleep well. Thank you. <laughs> See you next week. You too. Bye. All right. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Please remember, the opinions we discussed on this show do not constitute medical advice. We're not doctors. Check out ifpodcast.com for more information on us. Theme music was composed by Leland Cox. See you next week.